Welcome to the Standard Age Podcast, a casual conversation about the lives of entrepreneurs and those growing companies. I can't thank you enough for listening as these episodes have been a wonderful supplement to the line of apparel that I'm thrilled to share is steadily growing. If you like what you hear, please visit standard-h.com and sign up for our email list. The website not only hosts every episode of this show, but also allows you to explore the entire product assortment and our latest travel recommendations. As an email subscriber, you will be the first to receive product release information as well as receive offers no one else is privy to. Just visit standard-h.com for more information. Seeing Standard H worn by a growing number of watch enthusiasts has been incredibly cool to witness, so chances are good if you're listening to this, you're probably an enthusiast already. However, if not, it makes no difference as Passion Find Jewelry welcomes everyone into their shop in Solana Beach, California. If you're already in deep, you'll know some of the brands that Tim Jackson and his team carry, which are some of the most highly sought-after independent watch manufacturers sold today. Names like Roger Smith, Grunfeld, Kudoke, Habring, Sarpaneva, and many more. If you can't make it to California, visit passionfinejewelry.com for their entire offering online. This episode is also brought to you by Contonement. Contonement's flagship product, the Kerchief, is a perfect medium between a handkerchief and a bandana. Featuring iconic designs such as the Fender Stratocaster and the dashboard of a Volkswagen GTI, these utilitarian cloths are an item that should be a mainstay in your everyday carry. Tuck one in a back pocket or use one as a neckerchief. Visit them at contonement.co, that's C-A-N-T-O-N-M-E-N-T dot co, and use the code STANDARDH in all caps, no spaces, for 20% off everything in their online shop. Now let's get to the show. Nick Fedowitz has a role within the watch community that is unlike any other. If you're not familiar with him as a person, perhaps you've heard of his company Ad Patina. That's right, Nick doesn't sell watches or watch straps or even watch pouches. He sells vintage magazine ads which highlight some of the most iconic watches ever produced. I think it's fair to say that the watch industry, along with the car industry, have produced some of the most whimsical and thought-provoking, if not provocative, ads over the last 50-plus years, and Nick has brought them to offices around the world, framed and beautifully displayed. When I attended Wind Up Watch Fair in Chicago, Nick and I decided to meet up before one of the show days to record since it would be the first time for both of us not only meeting in person, but also exhibiting at a show. I've bought from Nick, as perhaps have many of you, because he treasure hunts to find old ads and present them as art, which is something I've enjoyed buying to pair with the pieces in my own collection. I wanted to learn more about Nick and how he goes about his operation of ad patina, And since I had never heard him on another podcast, I wanted to share his story with you. I really love his perspective, how he got into collecting ads, how he sets his prices, and how he embraces the challenges of running his business. I hope you enjoy it. I'm your host, Wesley Smith, and you're listening to the Standard Age Podcast. Well, Nick, thanks so much for taking the time to be on the show. It's good to see you. Yeah, welcome to Chicago. Yeah, thanks so much. This is great um, to do in person. Yeah, absolutely. It actually makes the editing a lot easier on my part, <laughs> which is nice. Um, as you said, we're in Chicago, Wind Up Watch Fair. Um, have you ever done a trade show before? No, I've uh, attended, but I've never uh, been part of it as a, a exhibitor. participant, yeah. exhibitor. 
So yeah, this is a new experience for me and uh, looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So I know you've partnered up with Oak and Oscar, right? Yeah, I've known Chase for a long time. You know, Chase is probably the first person in the watch community Mm -hmm. that reached out to me uh, through Instagram many years ago and invited me to um, a get together. So I can, I owe a lot to Chase for starting, um, getting me involved in the watch community. So looking forward to the show, I know it wouldn't be as amazing without his help uh, and his team. So you live here in Chicago but you're not from here originally. Right, so uh, my wife and I uh, have lived here since 2007, and we, we uh, are from Rhode Island, so okay. from the East Coast. What, uh, what was childhood like in tiny little Rhode Island? <laughs> uh, well, that's a good question, because uh, we just came back from a family vacation, so we just came back from Rhode Island, and whenever I'm home, you can't help but think of uh, you know, memories uh, from your childhood, uh, you know, driving around and, and visiting places trigger a lot of uh, memories. And uh, I grew up with uh, my mom. She was a single parent. Pretty normal childhood, nothing outrageous. No, you know, you know, we went to the beaches in the summers and um, that was one of my best memories growing up with her. Um, and our son just turned five. So he's at a great age uh, to, to, for for my son and, and for me to, you know, the boys to kind of go off and do their own thing. Our daughter's two, so she's a little different, uh, different age bracket. But uh, yeah, I, I loved being able to uh, take him to the water and, uh, you know, smell the salt water and uh, just start doing things with him and exposing him to things that I are some of my fondest memories. Uh, so that was a really great, um, it was one of the things from this past vacation, family vacation that I uh, really enjoyed was just uh, reliving some of my childhood um, uh, with through him that's amazing yeah I mean I think that's kind of parenting in general right is like kind of seeing the world through your kids eyes you know yeah you definitely uh I mean the topic of kids we can just go on and on right (laughs) right. I don't want to bore some people but different uh, different podcasts (laughs) yeah no I mean watches and kids are my life and uh you know I toggle back and forth between those two uh, areas all the time and I can talk to people about that those subjects parenting kids and watches um that's sort of my, my, my favorite, uh, you know, my favorite area to talk about. And, uh, so what did your mom do as a child or when you were a child, what did she do for work? Uh, my mom had, uh, different jobs. Uh, you know, she had like uh, office jobs. Um, she worked at a manufacturing company. Uh, she worked at a, ironic, uh, she actually worked at a, for a steel company, uh, in Rhode Island that had, um, I think they had an office presence here in Chicago. So, when I was growing up with my mom, you know, we never really traveled and went on vacations. Uh, we had um, one f- family member that we visited in, in Virginia, but other than that, you know, we weren't taking trips. We weren't on. We weren't travelers, um, other than some road trips to the beach or to cut down a Christmas tree. But uh, but my mom had. A, she did a few um, work trips to Chicago when I was younger, so I actually can remember her coming to Chicago on work. Um, maybe to visit a site or something. Um, she works in she works in the medical field now. She tr- uh, she went to school to get her um, uh, like a nursing license, a nursing certificate, Regi- like an RN. Yeah, and so she works in a mental health um, office now. Um, so again, like totally different than what she uh, yeah. started out. But she's always been a really hard worker, 
and uh, I certainly give her a lot of credit for uh, that I observed when I was younger, um, and that is part of my life today, not only as uh, in, in, in what I do for, for work, you know, my work ethic, but uh, also, you know, a lot of the things I do as a parent, I, uh, I can give her a lot of credit for, um, you know, doing with me. Right. I think it's only natural that you do, you do, you do some of the things with your kids that your parents did with you, and sure. then you do different things that you maybe wish they did or you, you know, maybe you think you can do better. Uh, yeah. I think I've said it before. Like it, it's often said that like you always become the parent you wish you had. Yeah. I mean, it's, um, a parenting is crazy. It's, uh, it's, it's like running a business <laughs> best job, you know, you're, you know, but it's a lot, it's a lot of work and, uh, you know, it's 24 seven. Um, again, don't get me going on that road because it's, it's a, it's a, it's a fun detour. Uh, no, it's all it, good. It'll be this, it'll be the, take you down the scenic route of my experience parenting, you know, two kids with my wife uh, over the past five years. Yeah, uh, well, detours are kind of what these things are all yeah. about. But uh, Chicago sports fans are kind of devout. <laughs> are you a sports fan at all? Like, are um, you into Chicago sports? Or are you like a Northeast guy? Are you a Boston fan? Or so like? sports as part of my life, um, especially when I was a kid, uh, playing sports uh, or, you know, following sports teams. I grew up in the Northeast, so I've got... You know, I grew up rooting for Northeast teams. Understood. Um, and, you know, as I've gotten older, I'm definitely not as into sports as I was when I was younger. Um, so I wouldn't say that I have like a diehard. I'm not a diehard sports fan. I don't, you know, root for anybody. Right. Um, I think I watch sports now more uh, as a social activity. Um, uh, if my kids get into sports. I mean, we do sports in the house. I mean, I'm, you know, throwing a football to my son. I think I like participating in sports more now than I do watching it. Sure. So yeah, I mean, I think my, my relationships with sports at this point is, um, more social activity, um, doing it, uh, hopefully doing it, you know, for, for health and wellness, you know, yeah. I would love to be more active, you know, whether it's me riding a bike or starting to play tennis. I mean, I did a lot of these things as a kid. I played golf as a kid and I just, you know, I started working at a young age and uh, sports kind of took a back seat to working because, again, I grew up with just my mom and I kind of had to get to work early so that I could do some of the things I wanted to do. You know, I couldn't, she couldn't pay for everything. Or Did you go to college? I did. Where'd yeah. you go? In the Northeast. Uh, I went to a small business school called Bryant University. Okay. And uh, yeah, college for me was a great experience, uh, growing experience, you know, meeting people. I think I got more out of college from a social standpoint <laughs> than I did. Um, I mean, I learned stuff academically. I went to school, I think I majored in finance and computer information systems, you know, nothing that I do. Right. But I certainly learned a lot about money uh, through the classes. Um, I'm not in that, in, I'm not, that's not my career path. And I think I tried to go down that career path, but it wasn't me. Um, and so, yeah, I went to a business school and uh, I met, I mean, the people that I met there and the experiences I had with, um, with people who, uh, you know, from different backgrounds, uh, definitely shaped who I am today. Like I wouldn't be who I am today if I didn't run into a handful of people in college that I, you know, uh, I was, Partly it's, it was, it was, you know, I get credit for, um, I give myself credit for kind of being uh, not shy and sort of introducing myself to people who I wouldn't normally interact with, sure. you know, where I grew up, my background, 
the school was close to home. I commuted. I didn't even live at college. So, um, you know, my college experience was different than most people's. But, I mean, I stayed on campus a lot. I got there early. You know, I left late because I was hanging out with people in their dorms or I got there early to study or do homework. So um, I went to bed at home in, in my own bed. But, uh, you know, I, I worked on campus a little bit. Yeah, I mean, college, it's, it's kind of like when I look back at my childhood, you know, there's uh, so many great memories uh, being in high school or I wish I could go back. I'm a very nostalgic person. I think that's the reason I love these ads that yeah. I do. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and, uh, you know, you can't go back in time. And uh, we live in the world we live in today, you know, with, with technology being what it is and how, you know, how crazy it is. Mm -hmm. um, but I have, I always recollect, I'm always going down memory lane. and I'm always thinking about um, just those days. Yeah. Uh, especially as I get older, you know, with, sure. with, with having kids and uh, wondering what their experience is going to be like. So what was your first job then? My first job was a grocery store. You know, I was 15, I think, uh, just a local grocery store. Uh, I worked at a driving range. Uh, worked at that grocery store through college. Um, my first, my job out of school mm -hmm. was um, a department store, just retail. And uh, again, I just, I mean, I had some internships that where I was like, you know, in a cubicle or in an office or working at a computer. And it just, I don't know, it just wasn't, uh, wasn't the just vibe. didn't feel right. Yeah, yeah, it just didn't feel right. It wasn't my calling. I didn't, I mean, I, it could have, I mean, I could have, I could have done the job. I could have, uh, you know, got, got with the program and you know, gone down some sort of manager track or maybe, but, um, yeah, I don't know. I just, I just ended up in retail, uh, for a few, you know, for a variety of reasons. And, uh, that's where I've worked pretty much my whole life until I stopped and do what I do now. So you were working where exactly? Uh, so, I mean, I started working at a department store in uh, Rhode Island. It was in Nordstrom, which is a very, you know, well-known company, a great company, um, uh, great history. And uh, I worked there for a few years. I met my wife there. And then we ultimately, after a few years at the time, you know, we lived with our parents. Um, and we just decided, you know, we were getting, you know, getting a little older. We were kind of excited to explore the world. And, and we just did a, a, tr a transfer with the company. And uh, we transferred to Chicago. You know, that was um, 2007. So, you know, we're in our you know, early 20s, I guess. And um, we just, we, uh, I remember that we, uh, we had visited Chicago. We visited a few different cities to figure out, you know, where's the, what's a good city for us? Should we, should we move to Philadelphia? Should we move to a, a Florida city? Should we, you know, DC? Uh, but Chicago really felt right. Uh, and it was a big, it was a big city, but it felt like a neighborhood. You yeah. know, it's not like a New York city. No, it absolutely um, does. Yeah. It worked out really well. I mean, it's a great company. It's very entrepreneurial. It's very customer service oriented. Uh, I worked in fashion. I, I sold women's shoes for years. Um, and I sold men's shoes. So that's really my background is uh, retail selling shoes. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I did that for a while. I mean, I, I had, at one point stopped working at Nordstrom and I worked for a small um, shoe company called Fry. Uh, they make boots yep. mainly. Um, Very popular in the early 2000s. Yeah. So I got that experience, you know, going from a department store to working in a more of a boutique, smaller, you know, retail. So you uh, left Nordstrom for Fry in-house. Yeah. I mean, obviously there's, there's them different, you know career moves or you know stuff happens and sure. uh, that was sort of the next you know long-term job I had was at Fry and then from there I um you know when I worked at Fry that's when uh, my wife and I were um you know expecting our first our first child nice. and uh you know again Fry came along at the right time for me in my life uh, when I needed a little 
stability and right you less, know, less commission <laughs> well you know i just at the time i was just sort of floundering a bit and you know trying to find my what the hell am i going to do you yeah. know i yeah retail's great is this my is this my life is this what i wanted you know you just go through all these you know these thoughts and now you know we're having a baby and uh i wasn't working at the time for a little while there and um you know, i needed a job and i found fry and uh it was familiarity because it was it was retail shoes and uh but it was different because it was a, it was a small team it was a little store and um i started out in a stock room actually at any i wasn't even a salesperson even though i had a good resume at nordstrom i think the only opportunity for me at the time was in, in the stock room mm. so you know here i am in probably my early 30s you know working in a stock room and uh you know we're having our first baby and uh you know fry is great the, the team there is really nice and uh so it was like a little family. Yeah. And, um, yeah, we had, uh, we had our son and, uh, eventually I, you know, I got to sell, um, so I got to make a little more money and I started, uh, I started doing the ads just after our son was born or just before, right around the sp- sp- spring of 2017. And then I, I continued to work at Fry while I, I guess, growing a business or messing around with a business. And then, um, eventually I just, uh, made a decision to, um, just go out and make make see if I can make a living uh with ads you well know, that's do, crazy doing the ads so so like what got you into ads other than just being a nostalgic <laughs> person uh well that's my watch story which you know uh, some people may know um basically uh in the mid 90s uh I I had my sights set on buying a Rolex Again, I was working at a grocery store, making some money. I wanted to buy something. You know, I got these paychecks, and uh, that was what I wanted to buy. I didn't want a car. I didn't want to buy sneakers. Um, and uh, was it a particular Rolex or no, just the a brand, Rolex? The brand. So, but why? Like, what? Because that marked something. Well, that you marked know, success for you, or uh, a few reasons. I don't think there's ever one reason people do things. I think there's a variety of <laughs> okay. reasons that you know. At least for me, it's it's. Uh, so you know, growing up, um, again, I grew up with my mom, and uh, we visited her friend who uh, was married to a gentleman that had a, his own business. They were successful. They had a beautiful home, nice things. Uh, and whenever we visited them, just a, a visit or a, during a holiday, I couldn't help but um, notice their lifestyle. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were super nice, but they just had nice things. Mm-hmm. Uh, they had a Lexus, um, big home on the water. And uh, my mom's girlfriend, his, uh, the wife, she, uh, she wore a Rolex. Uh, I, didn't, I, know that I, I don't know that I knew the, the brand, but I, 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 the watch uh, stood out. I remember... I mean, one of my great memories, you know, you talk about memories of childhood and, you know, along with my mom taking me to the beach, it was uh, my mom taking me to visit these, you know, this family. And, uh, and I remember always, you know, she'd be washing the dishes and she had red fingernails and beautiful jewelry and she had this gold lady date just. And it wasn't just a gold lady date just, it had emeralds and diamonds. So, you know, you know, I gathered over the months or years that uh this was something this this watch was something that they treated themselves to or rewarded themselves partly because you know they were successful the husband worked hard they had a good business and so i equated um owning a rolex with um something you just do for yourself a goal you, you know you just do something nice for yourself when you work hard so it just became a goal of mine um you know that was part of the reason i i'm working hard i want to get something nice for myself and then uh, I wanted to buy something that would last, uh, you know. Um, I had something 
inside of me wanted a, an item that I could have and possess my whole life, take with me through life's ups and downs is sort of what I always describe the thought process. And uh, this watch, I could wear it, put it on, and it had the potential to be with me my whole life, to get scratches on it and, uh, you know, be with me through the highs and lows. And then um, where the ads come in uh, is I remember visiting the doctors, go to the dentist, go for your, you know, your a checkup, and you wait, you're in the waiting room. And this is the late 90s. And there's, so there's magazines, there's Sports Illustrated, there's National Geographic, um, I don't know, Architectural Digest. And you know, when you're in a waiting room at a doctor's office in the late 90s, you're not looking on your phone. You're just flipping through a magazine. And there, inevitably, I would come across Rolex ads. So I'm getting hit with Rolex from the, the friends. I'm seeing it, like, personally. You know, I'm getting to hold it sometimes. You know, it takes it off his wrist. You're holding that. Because the, the husband had an 18-karat gold day-date, you know, his and hers. Of course. So it's a, this, this heavy gold object. Like, holy, this is nice. This is something. And then, um, and then I'm, I'm seeing the ads. And the ads are, um, Rolex is a pr- prolific. You know, they don't, uh, you know, uh, they're everywhere. Um, and uh, you see all these artists, professionals, um, sports figures, explorers, adventurers, and they're all talking in these ads about, you know, this watch is indispensable. It, it was, you know, without this watch, they couldn't have accomplished done this, <laughs> this, 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 this feat. Right. Or, you know, it's, it's this artist or this someone who's saying, you know, you know, I'm a very skilled person and uh, I appreciate this Rolex because it's, it's craft, it's quality, it's craftsmanship. And, you know, it's great marketing. And I was very, uh, yeah. I, I'm very, I was, um, I just got hooked even more because I'm getting, it's another it's another, it's in my face through the, through the ads. And so, um, you know, there's just not a lot of, uh, there weren't a lot of uh, ways I could interact with watches back then. Uh, it was just through spotting it on someone's wrist and, you know, I'm not walking up to people on the street talking about their watch. Um, so that's, you know, you're not really getting, you're spotting it, but you're not really getting up close. Uh, you see ads in magazines. You could visit a store and window shop and, you know, we didn't live in an area where there were like tons of Rolex ADs. So that was, you know, and then it was a little intimidating, you know, to window shop. Maybe you leave with a catalog. Um, but yeah, uh, once I had my sights set on the watch, buying a Rolex, that brand, uh, I would tear ads out of magazines and tape them to my bedroom wall. Hmm. So this was the late 90s, and uh, it was not, I did not have a specific model in mind. I knew I wanted a Rolex. I, uh, many of the ads I had on my wall were actually women's uh, advertised ladies' models. Hmm. Because I was just fascinated by the brand and just this this good-looking watch, and maybe also because uh, I was, you know, early early influence was a woman's was a lady's model, but um, yeah. So uh, that's kind of where the ads came into my life. Um, you know, I had them on my bedroom wall along with posters that other that typical teenagers have on their wall in the '90s. I always say I had a Lamborghini poster on my wall and like a Cindy Crawford poster on my wall, and uh, you know, I would go to work and I would see that the ad just kind of crudely ripped out and taped scotch tape on the wall and it was just you know it was a little reminder like all right don't call out don't call out today go to work just do your shift make right. your 525 an hour right and eventually you'll have enough money to go get something right and then um yeah i mean i eventually uh, did get um uh, my my i did get a rolex in 1998 so that what'd was you it. get uh so um i got a so I had about 2000 bucks saved up, which was a lot of money back then. You could get a lot of watch for two grand. And uh, our high school was going on a class trip to Paris. 
And uh, my mom wanted me to have that experience. So she sort of saved up and paid for me to go on this class trip to Paris, oh, France. Awesome. And, um, you know, I had the money saved up and the exchange rate was good. So I just decided that this is what I'm going to buy the watch. I'm going to take my two grand and see how much Rolex I can get. What, what are my options, you know? And uh, again, I had no model in mind. I just, you know, my, my art teacher in high school, um, she knew her way around nice stores. And so she kind of took me under her wing and we went off one day while, while a lot of the classmates were sort of buying uh, macaroons and t-shirts. <laughs> I went off with her on a sort of a special mission to um, uh, buy a Rolex. Yeah. And we, uh, I remember walking into the shop again, another amazing memory of uh, childhood. I remember walking in with her and it was an older sales lady. She might've been the owner of the store possibly. Uh, and I remember her showing me some watches. I'm, I'm not even sure what the conversation was. It's, it's, it's a, that's a blur. Uh, I do remember a Pepsi GMT in the case. Um, but ultimately I got a date just, uh, So just the oyster bracelet, steel bezel gray or silver dial. And uh, I remember her telling me, and I was putty in her hands. Like she could, you know, nowadays it's, you know, when we walk into a, to a jeweler, you know, like we tell them what we want because we've right. researched it. We know everything. And, and that, but back in the day, you know, the charm is that, you know, it's an unexpected purchase. It's unplanned. They have everything for you to choose from. Oh boy, do I get this? Do I get this? Do I get this? It's not like that now. Right. We know. But um, yeah, I remember her telling me, you know, this is a great watch for you. It's, you know, it's, it's, the, it's a good size. You know, you have a small wrist. It's, it's a little sporty because of the bracelet, but it's also dressy because it's a date just. And it all seemed to make sense. And, you know, I think I got it for like 1900 bucks. Um, at the time, I didn't travel with all that cash. Um, my mom co-signed on a credit card. It had a $500 limit. And so I could not buy the watch with my credit card. And so my, my art teacher bought it for me and I paid her back when, no we, got, way. when we got home. And so, uh, so yeah, so I got that watch in 98 in April, April 21st, 1998, uh, still have it. Um, it's never been polished. Uh, and I chose, it, it's funny, you know, there's such, there's such a, there's, there's so much, you know, talk about condition rightly so. Uh, but I remember, you know, the first opportunity that I had to service the watch, you know, the five year interval. Yeah. I remember taking it to the AD and, uh, and I said, you know, don't polish it because I don't want to, I don't want to lose the memories. That was really the reason I didn't want it polished. It had nothing to do with preserving it. I was going to sell it or right. retaining the original, you know, lines. Yeah. I, 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 again, I wanted that watch to wear through life's ups and downs. I wanted to put scratches on it. I wanted the scars to, to tell the story where I'd been, where of my life. <laughs> and so I remember, I can remember the first big scratch I got, I was in like science class and they had these tall, <laughs> these tall, you know, desks with sinks. And I remember just, you know, hitting it hard against the, the edge of the counter of this desk. And, um, and I just, I didn't want to lose those, those memories. And that right. was the reason I remember, I think I, when I filled out the paperwork that day to send my watch in, uh, I think I remember like bringing a red Sharpie with me to like write on it in addition to whatever they wrote in their little check, you know, they'll check mark, like, you know, make a note, do not polish case, do not refinish case. I think I wrote on it in like a red Sharpie, like do not polish because I just, God, I didn't want to lose those memories. Right. And, um, it would have, I mean, so yeah, it's, so I have it to this day. Obviously, uh, it's a very important watch in my collection. Sure. So yeah, that's amazing. Hope that answers your question. Sorry. When you get me going down, it's just, I get like, uh, <laughs> I get a little verbose and it's hard to rein me in. It's all good. You can uh, edit. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'll do, I'll do my best. Um, so what, okay. So what is ad patina? So ad patina is, uh, basically I love, um, it's, it's, it's fine. It's sourcing, hunting, finding original print magazine advertisements. 
Um, and then, uh, you know, ultimately uh, getting them, finding them a good home with people uh, for, for, you know, for a variety of reasons. People enjoy the ads and uh, getting them to be a uh, part of someone's space, you know, part of someone's, on someone's wall. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really, uh, you know, it came about because it got hard to collect watches, the actual watches, because for, for again, a number of reasons, they're, they're expensive, at least the ones I like. They're very competitive. Um, and uh, I just couldn't collect watches. And it was kind of a bummer because it's fun to collect things. It's fun to look for stuff. You know, I, I love to get my watches through um, original owners and just do crazy, you know, just crazy stories about meeting people in a parking lot and paying for cash on a hood of a car <laughs> in, in the dark with, with a parking lot light. Um, you know, risky stuff. Uh, I like getting ad, getting watches that way. It's part of the fun. You know, you get that story in addition to the story that comes with the watch because maybe you're buying it from a grandson. Or, and so, um, you know, the ads allowed me to collect watches. Um, and uh, every thrill, every uh, everything I, all the all the fun that I had finding a few of the early watches that I found, um, I I got that same uh, experience by hunting ads and and no one's doing it no and and no and there's there nobody knows where they are there's no database that says oh this ad is in this magazine so it's really a hunt you have to be a detective you have to try to find out where are they meaning what magazine is an ad in and then where do you find the magazine now right so it's really it's a challenge and um, because do you specify in any particular date range of ad? No, I mean, in the beginning, I would find ads that I liked because I don't know. I didn't have a plan to sell ads. It was really to collect ads because I was working at the time. I had a job. Uh, so I'm just collecting and, you know, sharing what I find um, on Instagram. And uh, so ultimately, I'm spending money and time collecting stuff that if I Again, if it's stuff I like. And um, so I just focused on a lot of Rolex ads. I mean, I, I'm aware. I was aware of a lot of watch ads. I know they exist. You've seen pictures of them. Uh, you know, a Google image or some, maybe a, a, a story on a website uses it uh, as, you know, in the story. But um, where the heck are these things? Are they even, are they even real? Is it, is it a Photoshop? And so, uh, you know, really in the beginning, it's just, you know, trying to find stuff. <laughs> um, yeah. It's as simple as that. I mean, it's just a passion. It was a hobby. It was a... It was a, something to collect outside, something to collect and it goes with the watches, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's really, I mean, nowadays, I mean, there's a whole, the business has grown. Um, I'm very fortunate and I have a lot of different people who are interested in the ads that like all sorts of watches and, and you know, products outside of watches. Sure. And, uh, so I'm sourcing a lot more nowadays. I'm buying a lot more nowadays because I, the market is a little bigger. Um, has the industry grown or just your business? Are you kind of like the, the lead dog of this industry? <laughs> uh, I'm assuming you are. say so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I don't know of anybody that does what I do. Uh, it, it's certainly to the, uh, I mean, I certainly did not uh, invent collecting ads. I didn't right. invent, I wasn't the first person to frame an ad or sell right. an ad. Right. But I think the level, the, the intensity, the degree, the crazy stuff I do, yeah. um, I don't think anyone does. I don't think anyone does it. Um, so what is your approach to sourcing then? 
Uh, I bought an ad from you, but it was from the 1960s. Mm -hmm. So obviously those are going to be far more hard to come by. Yeah. I mean, sourcing stuff nowadays is different than in the early days. Um, I know where to find a lot, meaning I know what magazine it's in, but then you have to find the magazine. Right, uh, right, right. And so, you know, ultimately... Um, it's a question I get a lot. Where do you get your ads? How do you find stuff? And it's, right. it's such a big topic. I mean, we could talk for hours. Well, I'm sure you that. also don't but, really want to share. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something fun to share with the person who's, who wants to know the story behind their ad that right. they buy. Yeah, you know, of course. Like, you know, we've maybe talked about your ad that you bought specifically. And um, so that's kind of a nice, fun conversation to give people bullet points, talking points. Someone comes over their house or someone visits their office. Hey, what's on your wall? They can tell, oh, this is from such and such a magazine. It's from this year. It's, you know, they can give them some, it's a, it's, they can give them some good conversation. Um, because there's, there's just like an old watch or any watch, there's, you can just... You can start talking about an ad every, every every which way. You can talk about its condition. You can talk about its visual. You can talk about so many aspects of an ad. At least I can. But um, ultimately, it really comes down to trying to find ads still intact in a magazine mm-hmm. um, versus buying something loose, which right. things come to me loose too. I mean, I have, I do a lot of the work myself. Uh, you know, so hunt- is that just like a straight blade, razor blade to cut them out? Uh, it depends how the magazine's constructed. Mm. You know, some magazines are stapled. I mean, you have to deconstruct a magazine. You would never just open it and then take it out. You have to literally like oh, I see. break a magazine right, and right. Totally, totally like di- dissect it. Yeah. So yeah, depending how a magazine is constructed, there's, sometimes there's glue involved, there's staples, there's, I mean, every magazine, you know, has its own challenges and every paper is different. Sure. Um, everything has to be, you know, some, some magazines can you know, hold up better over the years. But um, yeah, ultimately I try to find the magazine and, you know, I do a lot of it myself just finding magazines wherever you can find magazines. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of places you can buy magazines. Um, they come through obvious channels and they come from people. I mean, people who follow me on Instagram, customers will send me magazines sometimes. I had oh, someone funny. the other day reach out to me. Hey, I just went through our, our parents' attic and there's a bunch of uh, old Playboys and old, um, you know, car and driver, you know, do you want them? And uh, I was like, yeah, like send them, you know, I'll, let me pay you for shipping at this point. Uh, ship them to me and uh, I'll eventually get to go through them. It's a, it's a, it's a process to go through ads. It's not something you do quickly, right. go through magazines. And, um, you know, so I, I initially just, um, you know, I got a sense of what he had, um, you know, the particular issues, you know, I bought from him. I don't know for certain there's anything in them. There could be, could be a gold mine, could be absolutely nothing. But, um, you know, I, I, um, he sent them to me. Uh, I, you know, I, I paid him back for shipping and then I just, you know, I was like, you know, I'm going to go through them eventually. And then, you know, what I pull out, I'll get back to you, and you know if I find some good stuff, then I'll you know kind of pay you individually for the stuff I found. Um, so things come all different ways. We were just on our vacation in Rhode Island, and um, you know I found something in an antique shop, and then um, I bought something off somebody from Craigslist that was in the area. Uh, That's cool. I have a few people who are sort of my network um, that look for stuff for me. It's probably like a watch dealer. A watch dealer gets stuff from everywhere. Yeah. They go to the pawn shop. They go to a, a show. They have customers sell stuff back to them. Uh, they find stuff, you know, someone messages them an email. Sure. Uh, they get it from other dealers. Um, yeah. Uh, same thing. The stuff comes from everywhere. Did, so when did it become full-time for you? Um, full-time in um, spring of 2019. So uh, at the time, I just decided, like, you know, it was, um, so retail, the way retail works, at least in Chicago, it's super slow in the winter because it's so cold. 
And we have a, the store I was working at was like a brick and mortar store in the street. So people actually have to like, you're not parking in a garage. It's not in a mall. So you actually have to like, you know, it's just brutal weather. It's very yeah. windy and cold. So it's super slow. And um, basically I worked in commission, you know, a little hourly wage commission. And, you know, you're not really making much money in the winter selling. And uh, I was like, you know, I could probably, um, if I focused a little bit on my work, and you know, found some more stuff, did a little bit better job sharing what I do. I could probably like replace my income doing the watch ads. Sure. Which I would who wouldn't want to work for them? I mean, I don't know, working for myself has always been appealing to me, you know. Um and so yeah, twenty nineteen I, I kinda shifted. I took the whatever took the plunge and made made the you know, took the risk and um I just transitioned and I just I allowed myself instead of standing in a store waiting for someone to walk in, you know, for eight hours and I'd help two people. I was able to sit at my computer or work from my kitchen table and spend eight hours on the business. Yeah, being and productive. that eight hours that I spent on the business ended up, you know, helping me get to where I am today, you know, putting, the, putting things in place, whether it was developing, you know, whether it was finding more stuff or working on my Instagram or when I did have people reach out to me, I was able to spend time writing them emails instead of having to like rush into the, you know, I remember at working at, at the store, you know, you're not supposed to be on your phone doing stuff. You got to work. I remember like taking a lot of bathroom breaks and doing a lot <laughs> of like transactions in the, in the bathroom, like, uh, cause you know, you want to get back to somebody, especially in the, in the early days. It's like, it's a, Oh my God, somebody wants something. Let's, let's make sure we do a good job and get back to them promptly and, and give them good service. You know, again, going back to the Nordstrom days or how I would want to be helped. Um, you know, nowadays it's a little different. I mean, everyone's very patient and, I'm always explaining to people what's going on in my life at the moment. Hey, give me, give me, let me get back to you tomorrow, you know. But uh, yeah, so 2019, and then um, it went well for, the, for a year. And then, uh, you know, I was just about to celebrate like one year in business, and then the pandemic hit. So it was like the perfect way to celebrate a year in business. Now will I be out of business because now we've got a pandemic. Yeah, but the irony behind that is, is so many people were investing in their homes during the pandemic. Like, yeah. I mean, even so, just like the restoration hardware stock like went up <laughs> like crazy. Like, I don't know what it's at now, but I'm saying like home improvement and all that stuff became a thing because people were spending more time in their house. So yeah, I would imagine I, that helped you. Yeah, I had, I wasn't thinking about that. I was kind of panicking a little. Sure, like, everybody was panicking. Oh boy, like businesses are closing, things yeah. are shutting down. I mean, I'm not keeping up with things in the news like sure. some people are. Yeah. I'm just worried about like, okay, I have our son. My wife's working, great. Um, I've got this little business. Mm -hmm. That's, you know. and um, But yeah, it, it really, it ended up, you know, ended up working out. I think, That's you know, great. like you said, some businesses during the pandemic that, that initial 2020, uh, didn't do so well and right. some flourished. Yeah. And uh, a lot of people were working. I mean, I think part of the reason that I was successful through 2020 and was able to kind of grow mm -hmm. is that people were working from home and hey, they're looking at their space. They want to redesign something. Yeah. Um, you know, part of the reason is also like just work ethic, yeah. not giving up. I mean, there's, I mean, with any business that you always have challenging times. I mean, even to this day, you know, getting ready for this event, it's challenging. I've never, sure. done, I've never done a trade show, yeah. um, but you have to embrace and find, you have to, you know, I, I always, I, when I talk to people about the business, sometimes it's more fun to talk about the, the challenges because if you, if you have challenges, that means you're probably onto something or doing something right. Like, Oh my God, how do I get this many frames done this week? You mm -hmm. know, like, how do I do it? You know, yeah. how do I, 
how do I get back to answer all these emails? You know, it's a good, you know, it's a good thing if you're, so I, I like talking about the challenges, um, maybe even more so than like what's going on, what's good, what's going good. Um, but um, yeah, it, 2020 was, was a good year. It, it continued to grow. And then ever since then, I mean, like I say, every, every month, every quarter, every year, um, it's just, uh, you know, more people are um, finding out what I do. And I think that's kind of my goal is to just share what I do because I just share what I love doing, which is, you know, finding ads. And, um, you know, I get to this business allows me to do. Obviously, it's kind of just, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the main person and uh, I have to juggle a lot of um, a lot of the responsibilities. And I get to I get to do so many roles that uh, I wouldn't do if I worked for somebody. You know, I get to do the shipping. I get to do customer service. I get to create, I get to source, um, uh, and it's fun to be able to toggle back and forth and do all that stuff. Um, challenging, but it's, it's fun. Sure. How do you set your pricing? <laughs> That's a good question. Uh, so at, I mean, it, it's kind of always been this model. Like you always, you have to kind of start somewhere, you know, obviously, you know, what did something cost you? What do you think it's worth? You know, there's, there's no, um, market for, uh, for, for ads. Mm -hmm. other than eBay. And that's really not the best place to, um, to use as a, a benchmark or an example. Why not? Um, well, so one of the reasons I thought this would be a potential, you know, good business is because for me, and I could be successful is because I have, um, I'm involved in the watch community. I have knowledge of watches. I'm, I'm interested in watches. I know the difference between this watch and that watch. And so when I have an ad in front of me, you know, not all Rolex ads are created equal. So many Rolex ads, but you know, uh, you know, a, I don't know, a, a date just ad, you know, with a two-tone date just from the eighties, you know, isn't the same as a Submariner ad from the sixties, right? Like, because the watches maybe aren't the same. The, and, um, and you know, someone who is, you know, potentially selling something on eBay kind of maybe and isn't into watches. They just see Rolex as Rolex. And so um, I felt like there's an opportunity, some of these ads that, are, that have special watches, watches that are coveted, grails, cool, um, you know, uh, there was an opportunity to um, get them to be, I don't know what the right word is, like appreciated or respected uh, the way I thought they should be, the way the watches are, right? Like certain watches have, have, are in our minds and on our wish lists and for, for a variety of reasons, and, and there's no reason that the ads can't um, mirror or, or, or that, that same tra trajectory, you mm -hmm. know? And so, um, yeah, you know, you have to start somewhere with pricing. Again, you gotta kinda like, okay, what did I pay for it? What do I think it's worth? What's, you know, when I'm doing this, I, I gotta like start, to, in, in a way, you know, start small. You can't just put some crazy price tag on something. You know, you gotta kinda build a business. And, uh, and um, so I kind of had like a starting point, you know, like an average price for something. And then, you know, you kind of adjust up and down depending on what the ad is, you know. And to me, it's, just, it's a gut thing, right? Because, again, no one's doing this. It's not like a watch market where, okay, Daytona's are cost this much. I got to be within this range based on condition. There's nobody selling. There's nobody doing what I do. And, um, and uh, I guess at this point, I've had a lot of experience uh, with customers from all over the world all different types of customers. I mean, I get to help a girlfriend buying a gift for her boyfriend. I get to help a collector that has, you know, tons of Instagram followers. Um, and so uh, 
I've, I've had the benefit of having a lot of um, information, um, interactions with people. Everything I sell, I talk to the person. There's nobody that's shopping on my website and just clicking. Like I know every single person. I've talked to them. I know why they're buying it, chances are. I know a little bit about their background. I know the watches they have. So I have a lot of good data. And um, yeah, pricing really just comes down to, it's, it's pretty simple. I mean, it obviously has a lot to do with, um, you know, condition matters to me. I'm a pretty tough grader on condition. Um, you can, I can talk about condition of an ad just like you can a watch, just like a dealer can hand a watch. A dealer will, watch won't be as, won't cost as much as a service dial or something, you know? It's the same thing with an ad, if it has a, a strong crease or something. Um, availability is a big thing. You know, some ads are just really hard to find. I might get one a year. That's gonna play into pricing. Uh, demand obviously plays into pricing. Um, and, um, yeah, I mean, I just kind of set the prices. I, I don't know, and, and you just got to see what, what happens. You know, you, you, it's, like, it's like you have to value your, you, like, just like you would value your, your time, you value your work, you think you're doing, you know, you, I know what goes on behind the scenes, you know, how much, how much work it takes to find an ad, to frame something, to ship something, all the, and, you know, that's all kind of like, not really built in, but um, there's, I don't know, there's, there's a, I mean, I'm not an economist. I don't have, like, a special, like, um, uh, I don't have a special, you know, strategy. It's it's a gut thing, and and luckily nowadays I've I've just, again I have so many um, past sales that I. That's another reason, you know, I, I price things today based on past sales. You know, sure. I was talking to someone today on the phone. We had a forty-five minute conversation in the car, you know, about doing a, you know doing a project, and uh, you know he was interested in two ads, and I had two examples, and one was in crazy good condition, and one was not, and it was a very popular ad. And uh, there's a huge price discrepancy between the two. And, um, you know, I just, you know, I kind of give them the price. And I was like, you know, I just sold one recently, you know, framed similar condition for this price. And so it lets somebody know, like, there's a market. You know, someone, someone paid that price. Um, maybe it's just like when people ask, like, why is a watch worth what it's worth? You know, it's worth what someone's going to pay for it. I don't know. It's, it's hard to kind of like, again, the, the, a pricing conversation that's a very, like, um, that's a cool conversation to have, and I'm sure you can, uh, I, I'm sure I could like, it could be like an MBA case study or something, you know, pricing ads. Um, but I, I think the system that I have now, and it works. I mean, I always, I have a range of prices, right? Like, I mean, from $35 to, you know, hundreds of dollars. And uh, I'm always willing to talk to someone and explain to somebody why the price is what it is. Um, and I'm always willing to talk to somebody about what they want to buy, whether it's $35 or couple hundred dollars sure um so yeah i don't know i think i'm in a good place i mean people respond well to the pricing i again i'm in i'm i i'm happy to get on the phone and discuss anything and everything about the ads that's one thing i love about what i do is educating people about the experience um why we should frame something a certain way if we're doing a project you know do you want this one for this price or do you want to wait for a better condition one that might cost a little more it might take a little time to find it's really important that people know what they're getting because this is not a product that people have any, for the most part, have any real like um, uh, experience with, right? Like, I mean, there's so much information about the GMT master, you know, again, people are more educated about that than the, than the seller. But with this, it's a whole new world. And it's really exciting for me to be the person who is sort of advertising the ads. Yeah. Um, it's weird when you're not in a saturated market because like in my business, right, it's, 
completely saturated. Mm-hmm. So like I can kind of understand what my product costs retail because there are other brands I can kind of compare myself to and, you know, also take into account like the actual cost of making my good. You know what I mean? Whereas like you're not making the ad, right? Like yeah. you're not the photographer, you're not the publisher, you're not the, you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's like, I mean, it's for me, kind of you know, interesting. Costs are all over the place. I mean, I spend, I'm always buying stuff. Yeah. Never know. I mean, I know what people are going to want. Yeah. You know, there's trends and I know what, what ads sell really well, right. but you also, I want to have a variety of ads. I want to have all kinds of stuff. You sure. know, I'm the marketplace. I'm the place you go to get a great ad or talk about sourcing something if I don't have it. Sure. Um, and, uh, yeah. And, and the ads are all one off unique examples, right? Mm-hmm. There isn't like, you know, the, the, like, like I just said, the example I just used about the Samaritan ad, there's, no one, even though it's the same ad, if you have 10 of them in front of me, they all look different and I can yeah. point out differences and that can be why one is hundred bucks more than the other, or right, 20 right. bucks less than the other. Um, and, um, yeah, it's, um, it's a very interesting part of the job pricing things and, um, you know, it's fun. Uh, it's again, it's, it's a whole new world and, um, you know, we'll, we'll see where it goes, but, um, you know, I obviously try to be fair and I try to. I have to respect the stuff that people have bought. You know, if someone pays something for something, you know, I can't all of a sudden sell it to someone for less because right. now that person, you know what I mean? You have to be consistent. You have yeah. to be fair. Yep. And, um, you know, it's really important for me to, uh, you know, I have a responsibility, I think at this point to kind of maintain this market and it's fun to do. And I think there's a lot of opportunity for ads to be part of people's lives sure. um, as a form of expression or art. Um, if you find the right ad that speaks to you, if it's in the condition that, you know, you're cool with and if you frame it the right way, it can be as cool and as relevant on your wall as a painting or a photo of your family. Sure. You have an Explorer 2 on right now. Mm-hmm. It's black dial. Mm-hmm. What do you like about the watch? Why'd you buy it? <laughs> so this is a really imp- a special watch. I bought it in 2010, so I've owned it a dozen years. Um, I bought it uh, from, at the time, HQ Milton from Yasek. Sure. He has his own uh, really super successful business now, Tropical Watch, and uh, a fun place to, uh, to scroll and look and, and uh, dream. Um, but uh, yeah, it was 2010. Uh, at the time, I, uh, I didn't know what Hodinkee was. I, they had been around, but it was not what it is today. Um, and uh, I did not have Instagram. I don't even know if it was around in 2010. So uh, this was the last purchase. At the time, I didn't know it, but this was the last watch purchase I made totally uninfluenced by anybody in media <laughs> right yeah. and that's not a bad thing because i've been i've been influenced I, a number of there's a number of um great examples where i've been influenced and it's been awesome you know i but that's you know another topic but uh, yeah i mean i bought it in 2010 and i very much like the date just purchase i at the time i'm working at nordstrom things are going well i'm you know you know, earning some awards as a salesperson and, uh, wanted to get myself something nice. And, you know, a Rolex was my brand and I wanted something different. I wanted a sport model, something, I don't know, a little bigger. Uh, I mean, my, my thought process was not about, I want an Explorer too. It, it really sounds strange, like unbelievable. Like what you like didn't have a target. 
I was looking at night one night on um, on the internet. I think I was on a, I was on Time Zone. It's an old watch forum. Yep. And uh, I saw a listing for this watch. And uh, you know the story I tell is that you know Yasek had great pics, which he still does today. <laughs> um, he has awesome pictures, and uh, the watch just looked beautiful in his pictures. Um, I was not like, ooh, do I want a polar dial? Do I want a black dial? Right, right. There was there was no. That was not even on my mind, which today that's a huge thing. You're in one, you're, you're either a polar guy or a, or a black dial guy. I was completely um, drawn to the pictures. Um, you know, I think at the time it was 3,400 bucks. It was, it, was it was advertised as sort of like a, a new old stock watch. You know, it had all the stuff with it. Um, and yeah, I mean, I remember just, uh, just buying it. I, I think I called him up. You know, I had never done a bank transfer. I had, I had never had something shipped to me that expensive. Uh, so it was just a great experience, you know, a long time ago. You just can't, you just don't, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to get, it's hard to replicate that experience today with just the way things are. Sure. Um, but yeah, I love the black dial. Um, I, for me, it, it I mean, it, I started off with a black dial, so I'm biased, but I think it wears smaller on the wrist. I have a really small wrist. I agree. So, so between a black dial and the bezel being, um, you know, more sloped and not like a protruding, like a sub or a, or a GMT where you got the kind of the serrated edges. It, it wears smaller. It's, it's, it's more um, flush to the wrist mm -hmm. and it's very more, it's a little more under the radar. Um, I've owned a Polar. I've owned two. I've just happened to have the opportunity to buy them over the years. Just I'm an original owner. You know, you can't pass it up if you see something good. Um, and you know, it's just, a, it's just a bigger watch on my wrist. That white dial, it's so bright. Uh, it just wears bigger. And I always tell people, um, I think that the Polar, I love the polar in the ads. It's very, uh, it's beautiful in, for visually in the ads. You know, there's way more polar dial ads than there are ads showing a black dial. Mm -hmm. and, you know, I've, I've done posts and written captions about that. Well, you know why I think that's the reason. But, uh, but um, yeah, polar's a great watch. It's a beautiful dial. Um, but, you know, I got the black one first. I've had it for 12 years. I got the watch. The watch came to me without a scratch on it, whether it was new old stock or whether it was touched up a little bit. Um, so every single scratch on this watch, I've put on it over 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's an important one. Um, I love the Explorer too. I have another, I have an old one. So you're big into Rolex. Are there any, like, I mean, would you consider <laughs> that a theme to your collection or uh, do you have any themes or overarching no, sort of approaches? No, my, my theme is, um, I, I, I don't really like to call myself a collector, even though I have a couple Rolex I'm, I'm aware. Uh, I love wearing my watch. Um, I, again, when I started off, I wanted to buy one watch and wear it forever. I never bought that date just in 98 thinking, all right, now what's next? You know, um, that was it. Uh, I'm glad I have a few watches, but I could totally just wear one watch my whole life. I would be perfectly fine with that. Um, I love the idea of putting on a watch and just wearing it, just wearing it. So I wear my watches now in like long stretches. So I... Like this Explorer 2, I put it on July 1st. I won't take it off. I'll, I'll, I'll switch on September 1st. I'll wear it for two months through the summer, every single day, morning, noon, and night, doing everything. The next watch I wear, again, I'll probably wear it for two months straight. Um, I never change. I, the way the watch came is the way I wear it. I never... I, 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 so you don't swap straps I, or I never, like no, I would never do that. Um, it's That's just funny, not my I'm style. The, I'm the exact opposite. It's not my style. I, 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 I don't even like to clean my watches like uh i literally just want to put them on and wear them and whatever happens 
during the day, whether it's, you know, soap suds. Yeah, sure. Get on the dial from washing dishes, salt from the beach. Uh, I just like to embrace this uh, wearing the watch. It's, an, it's it, it really like, again, it goes back to the ads. When somebody looked at an ad, you know, probably through the 90s, like, they were just buying that watch and wearing it. Sure. You know? it's, yeah, it's, yeah, a different, yeah. it's a different world now, and I can appreciate it, and I love, I, I can find the beauty in wh- where we are now with, you know, all the interest in watches and values. I mean, I can make so many cases for why it's, you know, a good thing. Um, uh, but, um, yeah, I mean, I don't have a theme. I mean, I, I have no problem owning another brand. I just haven't, like, um, encountered that watch, and unfortunately, I feel like my tastes are expensive, and it's a really big decision to buy you know, if I want to buy a dressy Patek, right? Like it's a big decision. Of course, you can, if you don't like it, you can, you can sell it, but I don't want to go into a purchase thinking, oh, I'll just try it out. If I don't like it, I can sell it. I really want to go into every watch purchase thinking this is the one that I could, I, I, can, I can be happy with this for, forever. Um, hmm. But I, I don't know, I have, a, I have a really strong connection with Rolex going back to my original story. Um, going back, you know, 24 years. Sure. Um, so I feel like I bought the watch for, for good. I've got a good, you know, good reason why I got attached to the brand, you know, the place I'm coming from. And um, gosh, I mean, I'm just so comfortable with an oyster bracelet. I'm just so comfortable with the oyster case. Um, I've just come to just be so comfortable with the watch. Yeah, that's know. great. But yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll hopefully have other stuff. You never know. You post vintage Range Rover ads from time to time. Mm-hmm. Are you a big car guy or are you just a Rover fan? No, I'm not a car guy. Um, I mean, I, I think I like, a, I think I like, I, I like the cars. I live vicariously through people. Uh, I mean, I can appreciate cars, right? Sure. Like, of course, the design of whether it's whatever it is. Well, you um, had a Lamborghini poster, my man. Yeah, well, that's when I was younger. And <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I would, a Lamborghini is a cool car. I mean, I, uh, I saw a Lamborghini truck on the highway the other day and I was like, couldn't take my eye off. And I'm just kind of like, hmm, thinking about it, you know, look, I mean, just to, from a design standpoint, like, sure. you know, what's the, yeah, what's yeah, the yeah. you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, look, I love, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I love the enthusiasm mm. around, around, um, objects, right? Like I love the collector community that's out there for Rovers yeah. or Porsches, for yeah. example. Those yeah. are two big, um, brands that I sell. Cultish. Yeah. And it's, it's like, it, I mean, God, I would love, to buy a Land Rover Discovery, an early one. Um, and part of the reason is that you, you know, part of the reason I would like do it, even though it's probably not a good financial decision. Yeah, the, the maintenance. Um, <laughs> is because there's such a fun community around that, that, that model. Totally. And to, I could just imagine the, all the good relationships I have now that I've met through watches, I could have that through this vehicle. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it's a cool, I mean, I, I, that design speaks to me, you know, that era nineties, um, again, if I were to buy like a vintage car, it would probably be from the nineties. Cause that's, I wouldn't buy a, I couldn't afford a sixties Porsche, but that wouldn't be my, I, I would get something that like brings me back to my, your childhood, my childhood, you know, stuff that I would, Oh wow. You know? Um, but yeah, I'm not a car guy. Um, I can appreciate them. I, I, uh, I, I, I've learned a lot about cars and I'm still learning about them through the ads. That's, you know, another beautiful thing about the ads. You can go down a rabbit hole, um, with these ads. I mean, I just, I literally, when I was on vacation, um, I was fortunate to meet a a grandson of a person of a gentleman who was responsible for creating the, um, America's cup 
programs wow. in the 60s and 70s and having Rolex be, uh, you know, be Rolex ads in Sponsor, the, in the yeah. program. And um, gosh, just now I want to read a book about the America's Cup. Now I want to learn about that, that hobby, that passion. So these ads, you know, can open up. They have the power to open up doors to learn about history. Um, and that's the, with the cars. I mean, I, 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 I'm not into F1, but I love that people are. And I love that that's um, a, sp a space where people get together and like have a drink and, and you know, their families get together and people get new best friends because of that. And, um, and some of that stuff, I mean, it's super cool. Like I, all that old 1960s Le Mans, like that stuff, I mean, that's beautiful. The design, the era, the, just the, the photography back then. Um, sure. Pictures of cars with headlamps on and just blurring by. I mean, the photography, that, that lifestyle. I mean, we, we love that stuff. Like, we didn't grow up in that era, but we love that stuff. I mean, and, um, but yeah, some of the ads are great. I mean, Rover ads, I think, are just really great. Um, Rover ads are unique. You know, there's just so many good ones that came out during the 90s, and they all have, kind of have the same format. Yeah. And the headline is so clever and witty, and it, it ties into the picture so well. And, um, and I was fortunate to meet somebody who's, who's very close to the creation of the ads. And so I kind of have a, a soft, spot in my, in, 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 soft spot for the ads because I, I've met somebody who helped create them. And, um, you oh. know, part of what I ultimately want to do is educate people, not just about my experience finding ads, but also I want to learn about the, the, the people who created them. I want to learn about the agencies. I want to learn about the, the uh, publishing, printing. Um, I just don't have the time now to go down those areas. Who did you meet? Um, it, it was a gentleman who worked at an, an ad agency that their account was Land Rover. Sure. Um, so his name is Alan Richardson. And uh, Where were they based? I mean, he does his own, he has his own business now in, in Colorado. But okay. um, he actually uh, found me through, uh, I, I did an interview uh, years ago, um, and it was published online, and uh, one of the questions the interviewer asked was, um, what, what are the most compelling ads? And I mentioned Land Rover ads are compelling, and, um, and he happened to have read it, and you know, luckily I mentioned his, you know, his, uh, his project. His work. And yeah. then he reached out to me, and, um, and yeah, that's cool. the thing. You know, these ads, I always tell people, are somebody's life's work, right? Like, think about a piece of art, um, the struggle of an artist, their life, what they went through to create their art. People love the story about artists, uh, Basquiat or, you know, Picasso. And um, people hang those in their homes. People, you know, for good reason are, you know, in love with art. And, you know, we don't know the names of the people who created some of these ads that stand out in our mind. Mm -hmm. But there's a person who made the, the Rolex Explorer top of the Matterhorn or a group of people. And they sat at a desk or they, they a drafting table and they thought about the headline. They wrote the copy. They, they, they came up with a photo where they did a photo shoot with somebody's hand and that watch. Yeah. And um, that's such that's, a cool ad. That's somebody's like, that's an artist. Those are artists. Yeah. And, and in the same way that we, you know, celebrate artists by buying their art. I want to celebrate these people's careers by framing their art because that's their art. It's just a different form. Sure. And I think today, you know, watches are such a part of our life. Uh, I say to people that, you know, I have more watch photos in my phone than photos of my kids. Yeah. And I have a lot of photos of my kids. So that says I have a lot of photos of watches and ads. And um, so it makes sense to have this, this object part of your space yeah. because you have pictures of your kids. You have, you know, it's, it's, it's not out of the realm to, um, 
to start appreciating these ads for a lot of reasons and just display them. I mean, they just, it, I, I hate to think about an ad stuck in a magazine or something on a bookshelf. Which is closed. Never getting seen. Yeah, yeah, you know? exactly. Um, it's just, God, they're so beautiful, um, uh, some of them. Well, as we're wrapping up here, because uh, we've got to set up for the show, obviously, but uh, do, you have any, uh, do you have any questions for me? <laughs> um, questions for Wesley. I'm not putting you on the spot. If you do, yeah. yeah but if uh, not, let's roll. No, I wasn't, <laughs> I wasn't. You flipped the script. I wasn't thinking about asking you a question. But um, I guess, uh, you know, you've done podcasts for a long time, and, uh, I, you know, you've interviewed a lot of different uh, people, not just watch people, yeah. you know, different industry folks. Um, and uh, what's the, um, what is your, uh, what do you look for when you're sort of thinking about like, oh, I want to reach out to this person. Uh, I mean, you, you, have a, you have a great reputation, you have a brand. So, well, that's nice but, of you but, to but say. But in the, <laughs> you ultimately want to, you want to use your platform you, you know, your um, hard work you've put in, you want to be able to have guests come on that are, um, that you find interesting. Sure. That you think other people will find interesting because you have data about, hey, what, what, what show did well? Who listened more? Um, you know, thank you for having me on. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah what are you looking, what do you look for? Like, what's interesting to you about, um, like a about prospective a, about guest? A guest? Yeah, like, you know. Um, well, I think to kind of piggyback on your data sort of statement, um, I have found historically the watch podcasts have outperformed a lot of the other ones. Mm -hmm. So that's why I've decided to, well, if my audience is really enjoying these watch related posts or episodes, rather, I, frankly speaking, I enjoy them. <laughs> so it, it just makes it that much easier to choose people because it, it, it gives me at least a subject matter to piggyback on and, and ride that wave of what, people are seemingly attracted to anyway. So, uh, I don't really look for anything in particular other than obviously it, it is somebody a, that I haven't interviewed before B I try to find somebody that maybe may have, or hasn't done a lot of interviews. Right. So, because like nobody knows that you probably were raised by a single parent based on your other interviews I'm anticipating. Right. Yeah. And I mean, that's, that's one thing I would say, um, you know, um, I mean, I haven't, I, I, a lot of the questions that you ask are not the normal question, which, Correct. Is, which is nice. Right. Um, you know, my, what I do, you know, what I'm sort of known for at the moment, uh, it, it's a big topic and it's hard to, um, it's hard for me to do it justice. Right. But so when you, when you ask questions outside of just the, the obvious, right. it, 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 it makes the conversation a little more comfortable because it's, um, you know, it's just a, a, a different, a different, um, just different answers. And, uh, and it also, it also, obviously people can listen and fill in the blanks and get to, you know, the reason I'm, <clears throat> you know, the reason why I'm, I do this or that. Oh, it's because of this. I never knew that. And I, I think it's really important <clears throat> when, um, yeah, people want to, I think people love to hear stories, uh, you know, and, and find out stuff about, you know, yeah, I think I think one of the reasons why I do this show the way I do it is because frankly speaking it's it's a lot less salesy. Mm -hmm. Right? Like I want to know you Nick. And yes, we I want to talk about ad patina. But I don't want to just spend an hour of you telling me why I need to buy your stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like cuz all you have to do for that is 
go to my website, read the product description. That's mm -hmm. why I'm doing what I'm doing. And this is why it's worth what it's worth because this condition's incredible. And I'm sure you're, mm -hmm. you know, and your conversations with customers would then say that anyway, you know, to, to your point earlier. But like, for me, it's like, I, I want to talk about the product. I want to talk about the business, mm -hmm. but more importantly, I want to talk about you and like why you do what you do. So for me, what I look for is people that I'm interested in selfishly. <laughs> and how did you get to where you got? Because this is the first business I've ever started. Mm -hmm. And if, if you've never owned a business before and you think you know what you're doing, you're sorely mistaken. Yeah. And I figured if I'm going to be learning, why not share it with a group of other people or dare I say, inspire others to start their own business if they've been, I mean, cause let's face it. Most people are unhappy at work. If they'd rather be doing something else, mm -hmm. get up and do it. You can do it on the side. You did it as a side hustle. Mm -hmm. There's so many parallels that you and I have, frankly, yeah. that like, I was working at Gucci when I conceptualized this business. Mm -hmm. I was, I'm a retail guy. I've got over 20 years experience working retail. I had no idea. I wouldn't have thought that. You know, so yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was literally working at Gucci, did it on my lunch break, mm -hmm. like sketched out the logo based on a Google search. Mm -hmm. And seven years later, here we are. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I think, you know, talking business, like about the ads that happens just yeah. when someone's interested in something. Yeah. But you know, what doesn't, come up a lot is the backstory yep. and it's the um you know the the, the 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 tough times which again the tough times are, are they make for good stories you sure. know um and uh, you know we sort of scratched the surface on the the, the you know the trajectory you know but yeah. uh i think that it's um i think it's it's good for people to hear like sort of the real story and what goes on behind the scenes to a certain degree because it's not it's not always how it looks on the front end you know what people see through Instagram, that's the finished product. But yeah. there's a lot that there's a lot to get there personally and and just through business to get that finished product made or or, or whatever. And uh, I like you know my business model because I do get to talk to a lot of people personally, even if I'm just messaging them, emailing them. Hey, you know I'm on vacation with the family right now. Let me get back to you tomorrow. Like I I love being um I love being forthcoming and, and giving people like a, a glimpse into my life. Mm -hmm. I don't have a, a problem with that. Um, cause I, I like to be, I mean, I don't have a problem being, you know, transparent and, um, and so it's fun for me to, uh, answer those questions that you asked about, you know, the, you know, my upbringing and what my mom did for work. Um, I think it just helps people who are familiar with a brand. It helps the people, um, become even more, Form, form another opinion about them, whether it's good or bad, you know, yeah, like, sure, oh, sure. this guy likes Tom Brady, unfollow or, or, <laughs> or, or, oh, wow. You know, I was a single mom. I was a single parent. My mom was a single parent too. Let me reach out to him. We have something in common. Yeah. I think when you can, the goal is, is really to find, you know, it, it's great to find, you know, common interest. I mean, I'm sure this is the first time we've met and luckily we get to meet in person yeah. and you know, you're here, for, you're here for a few days and, you know, probably based on our conversation today, we'll pick up on it tonight yeah. or you know it's 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 more likely that i'll come to california now because i know another person in california that i've hung out with like any business you gotta sometimes you gotta you know make choices hard choices what am i going to keep doing the same what am i going to change you know every year it's like okay what am i going to do a little differently this year not to like change things up completely but you know you want to grow as a business you want to try something new um offer something new offer something different expand a little bit all right so so in, in reference to expanding and, and changing, what, what's next for Ad Patino? 
Well, I think, again, you know, the goal right now is sharing what I do. And, and I have, I think there's a lot of potential to find great ads and frame great ads. I think there's a lot of stuff out there that's never been discovered. Mm -hmm. And that's my job. Um, but I want more people to know what I do. Sure. Um, and uh, how do you advertise? Uh, nothing strategic. It's just word of mouth and... I don't know. I mean, That's I'm not, I get, I'm very low tech. So I, my website is never up to date. It's, I, I don't really know a lot about SEO. Right. Um, <laughs> my Instagram, I don't know how Instagram works. I, I couldn't tell you these days. I Cause just, you got a fairly large following, man. That's uh, sure. But I, again, I don't know who those people, I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if they're robots or real people. Uh, you know, sometimes I post stuff and it goes crazy. Sometimes it's like, where's yeah, everybody? Crickets, yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know how the algorithm works. Uh, and I don't really care. Um, I, I try to just I love that. do what I do and, you know, it, it all works out in the end, you know, knock on wood. Yeah. But um, I, I think, you know, one of my, my, long, my goal for next year, I'm trying to get the operations uh, a little bit more streamlined mm -hmm. behind the scenes. Yeah. I would love to bring somebody on to help me. Sure. But I can't bring somebody on unless, A, I'm a little bit better organized. Um, so sounds I mean, like you need, you're in dire need of a filing cabinet. <laughs> um, yeah, some, I mean, um, I've got a lot of drawers and, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think I would, I would like to, if I can get a little more organized, yeah. um, there's a potential that I could move my space out of our home mm. into like a little, a little, uh, shop yeah. and, and have somebody come in and work with me. Yeah. And you know, I want to free up some time to do more hunting, to build out the site a little bit better so I can keep things updated more real time. I can show a wider array of, of ads, you know, sure. like there's so many great fashion ads. I think that there's a, there's a big opportunity, um, to do fashion stuff. Sure. I mean, I've gosh, it's so to have a space would be incredible, yeah. you know? Um, uh, but it just takes, it just, it's just baby steps. And, uh, sure. you know, I also like the charm of how I do things now, Yeah, you know, because it's, it's personal. Yeah. And there's, and I don't, I'm okay with not doing things the way you're supposed to do something, mm. you know? Um, I always struggle with, do I make my site e-commerce or do I leave it the way it is old school, you know, and I'm probably going to make a little tweak, but it's still going to be very much, um, a personal business, you know? That's great. Um, well, listen, man, thank you so much for the time. I hate to run, but, uh, or I hate that we have to run. It's not even me running. It's us running. Um, looking forward to the show. It's so great to meet you. And I really appreciate you taking the time, Nick. Same. Yeah. Thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to uh, continue our discussion off the microphone. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, until then. Thanks, Wesley. Okay. This wraps up this episode of the Standard Age Podcast. If you like what you heard, I'd love it if you'd share it with a friend or two. And if you have a moment, please rate and review the show as it helps others discover these episodes. It absolutely helps far more than you realize. Shout out to Jensen Reed and Super Beautiful for the theme track, as well as to Clear Audio for the noise-canceling headphones. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll catch you in the next one. Take care. Take care.